0: This week's episode of Performance Anxiety features London Brown. You may recognize him as Fat Reggie from HBO's Ballers, but he also does a lot more. He's a stand-up comedian, and he's also a really good photographer. He gives us some great behind-the-scenes stories, and uh, actually even gives us a little Denzel Washington impersonation. So, sit back and listen to uh, one of the most positive people I've seen on the internet. Hope you enjoy this week's episode of Performance Anxiety with London Brown.
1: Yo, this is London Brown, aka Fat Reggie maybe HBO Ball. The character you love to hate, but the love. Yeah, you love. Man, you guys be sure to tune in man, and catch me on Performance Anxiety Fun Podcast. You both.
0: So you are an LA native, yes? Is that right? Yeah, it. Oh, yes. really. So there's like one of like five people. They're actually native from LA. Then,
1: yeah, it's not it's not a lot of people from LA. Yeah, I am I am one. A lot of people import in absolutely.
0: So you uh, you're on the show, Ballers. Are, are you a big sports fan?
1: Yeah, I am.
0: Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, I I do another show and it's more of a sports based podcast. We talk about all kinds of stuff and it's uh, a couple of buddies of mine out in LA, and uh, occasionally we have a. Uh, Somebody you know on there, Carl McDowell. He comes on a lot. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. he's... I was just with Carl. Uh, we did a photo shoot uh, Monday.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, good
1: to Yeah, yeah. We did a uh, photo shoot. Uh, I, I was doing a photo shoot for a uh, magazine cover I'm doing. So he was good dude, good
0: to dude. Yeah, Carl's awesome. I, I've known him for a few years now, and uh, he's really good friends with the, uh, the the two co-hosts of my podcast out in L.A. So um, Great. I asked him, I said, is there anything I need to... to uh, ask you about any anything any dirt i can throw at you and he's like he didn't get back to me at all he just totally ignored me
1: so, I get, good, good
0: so, good. <laughs> so yeah he's a good dude for you yeah. but on the other show we were actually recorded last night and we brought up the possibility and i wanted to ask you this about <laughs> a chargers ram super bowl what do you oh, think man. how do you think that would go over in la because um Two guys, all right. One's his name's Tommy Caprio. He's a producer for Jim Jeffries, and uh, the other guy's Eric Rosenbaum. His brother's Michael. He played Super uh, Lex Luthor on, on Smallville. Right. All right. So those are the two my two co-hosts. They're telling me constantly that L.A. is not a big sports town. If it's not the Lakers, and even with the Lakers, people just they're just not that interested. And I don't know if it's because there's a lot of people from out of town, but how do you think a, a, an L.A. L.A. Super Bowl We'll go over there,
1: uh, <clears throat> I think we are uh I think we're diehard Lakers Dodgers and Raiders fans, and then outside of that, then it starts to get watered down, yeah. so we're not we're not really interested in the rams <laughs> uh we just don't care outside of the Lakers dodgers and Raiders um because I mean it's just also too. Like with the Rams, it's been, it's been something, the sports, especially with football, has been so inconsistent. But between us having the Rams was there back in the day, then they left. Yeah. And then Raiders here and they left. So we just decided we don't really put all our faith into with, with football. We we stick with USC. U, USC is really for LA. And, and, and usually people who go for UCLA are from here, but they've moved here.
0: Uh. Oh, we, okay.
1: We support USC. So,
0: I didn't realize that. Okay, so I'm getting a little. See, I'm out on the East Coast, so I, yeah. I don't. I don't know too much inside baseball. No pun intended on on uh, right, right, LA right. sports. So, so now, since growing up there, it, you uh, you got into theater and and dance and all. So how did how did you get into the theater? How old were you? Was it something that you've always wanted to do or
1: um, the acting came in just from doing plays. I remember just in church. And then in high school, um, I got into initially growing up, I was a musician. So I thought that I tried to check into a, a class. I saw, uh, one of the electives was keyboard and I thought keyboard meant piano. Okay. Keyboard for typing that class. <laughs> was, that class was full. So <laughs> I couldn't get to a key, a keyboard, a, a keys class. They say, yo, we got this drama class. I was like, all right. I tried, and then uh, I took the drama class, and that's really where I started to study the craft. And then uh, during high school, I was touring during theater, and then uh, that's so that's kind of like the beginning of how this thing called acting. I did a play in the 11th grade called "Rebel Without a Cause," and uh, when I did that, that's where I was like, "Oh, I want to do this thing called acting," because the feedback of the audience was so instantaneous. I thought, I said, yo, I like this feeling. This is a feel from FilmNet okay. when it started. Yeah.
0: So when did comedy come in? Did it come in before acting,
1: after um, you started? You know, I think that funny people are born. <clears throat> because being funny, I think, is really just a matter of uh, timing. And I feel like growing up, I've always was saying something witty that would just kind of work. But you, you don't consider yourself a comedian. But I was always encouraged in high school, but I do remember in high school, in the yearbooks, I would, I would sign actor and comedian. And this is before I actually knew anything about being a comedian, but I did manifest it. Cause I knew I wanted to do it, I just didn't know how. Uh-huh. Uh, so what happened was I used to work for the Los Angeles Times newspaper. I used to sell the newspaper, uh, being funny, and I would sell the newspaper in different voices. My manager said, yo, we're doing a, a job Christmas talent show. I was like, all right. He said, you ought to do it. I did it. Told a couple of jokes. Didn't really know what I was doing. And then fast forward years later, um, I was then a teacher. And while I was teaching, they had a fundraiser, uh, a comedy show. as was a fundraiser for the kids. Okay. And one of the assistant principals, somebody signed me up to do the show. And I did the show and I was like, oh, this is, and I had another epiphany. Like I did with acting when I was 16. This happened as an adult. I was like, oh, the scene called. I got the same titillation that I got from doing theater I got from doing uh, stand-up. It was, uh, what I realized is that both of them were on stage. One was like performing with the cast of 12 mm-hmm. versus me performing. It was the same live reaction. And I was like, oh, this was a natural fit. It was, so it was a very seamless transition. From theater to stand-up.
0: So you like getting that instant reaction from the crowd.
1: Yeah, man, because a, at the end of the day, it's a conversation with the audience. And uh, I realized that the energy that I was able to get from doing theater, I was able to get from a stand-up, but every night it was under my control. So I, had to, I didn't I have to memorize anyone's lines, go to a dress rehearsal. You know, it was just me every night in the clubs, a few times a night, you know, and once I realized that, that kind of is what started driving me even more with stand-up because I could do it every night.
0: So was your first paying gig uh, acting or or stand-up?
1: My first paying gig was was acting. I did, did, because I was doing theater first. So I started doing professional uh, theater work fairly early on, and I got a couple coins for that.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, and stand up, even, you know, even I was, before I really got paid, was maybe two years in before I really got paid. Oh, wow. I mean, I was making some money. I was making some money, but I was making, I remember I did a club off in the hood here called The Family Room. And basically, what they would do is, if you were funny, they would tip you, they would like throw money on stage. Oh, wow. And I one night I was dead broke and I was hungry. And, um, uh, while I was, I was just telling my jokes and I made enough money to fill my tank and get something to eat. And, uh, that's, I was doing that while I was staying with my friends. So, I mean, that, that, I mean, I only, really, I, I shouldn't say that I don't count that because that does count right. I just wasn't making as much money, uh, until like two years in.
0: So was that, uh, before or after the uh, gig on judge Karen's court?
1: That was probably that was all around the same time, you know. That even that we, I made seventy five bucks doing that, and that helped pay some bills. So it, it was just kind of gig. I'm just gigging it, you know. Usually make enough in the city. May make about twenty five to fifty bucks. If you do a private gig for someone's job, you might get a 200 bucks max. Oh wow! So. It's so, just you gotta really like doing it because there is no pay.
0: So that that Judge Karen thing was that was that an actual case? Was that real?
1: The case it it was a, it was a it was a real case. Um, but I think that what happened was people didn't quite believe it because uh, people found it to be funny. But I knew going in that whether it was on stage or on a show like a, a, a judge show that I still had an audience. <laughs> so. My approach wasn't to go on there and to like how she set the, my my other two friends up. She let them go and kind of tell jokes behind the like podium thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, I was gonna make the whole show in audience <laughs> was my approach. So that's why when I walked in there, I was ready. It was, it was. You were, eyes. you
0: were strutting, man. I saw you come down the aisle. You were just, you know, you were ready. I,
1: I just, I just knew that I had eyes. And so I didn't want to waste any opportunity of getting in front of anybody. I just want to perform and make sure it's effective. So
0: well, I'll tell you what, man, it, it took uh, some pretty good balls to go up and and start talking to the judge and then just start doing impressions while you're uh, while you're on the stand. Yeah,
1: I'm tr- I was like, to say, I was just trying to work the room. <laughs> you know, same way with the audition. I don't I don't
0: have
1: time with I didn't. You know, at the time I was still in the ad school program job, and I was trying to figure it out. But I was like, "Yo, man, I got to make something happen."
0: And then you started touring with Chris Tucker. That was that slight little after that period. Um,
1: Chris Tucker happened. I that was like a year and a half in, I think. Uh, Basically, I was at a comedy club, the Hollywood Improv, to support my friend, and the host said, "Yo, Chris was on stage working out." Because he's about to go on the road. Okay. So the host said, yo, have you seen? The host said to me, he says, yo, has Chris Tucker seen you? I said, like, no, nah, he hasn't seen me. He says, you got to see you. I said, I don't want to bother him. He's working out. So the host says to Chris Tucker, he says, yo, who inspires you? Chris Tucker says, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. The host says, yo, you inspired in London. You should watch London. So he grabs me and puts me onto the stage. And I do like whatever my type five minutes was at the time um, after the, you know, when the club was out, me, Chris, we talked, we exchanged numbers, and, um, after that, he called me like a month later, said, y'all got it, I got a date, you want to come out? I like that, and I go nice. to there, and, um, I guess he had called around to see how my character was, my character is solid, and, um, I, I toured with him for like three years.
0: Wow, three years, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, we went to, um, uh, you know, Canada went to Europe, and um, and that's how I won like uh, international comedian because of him. Because I was able to go outside of the states because of him, so okay. I owe that
0: to him. So. so I hear horror stories a lot about being the opening guy on a comedy yeah. tour. How is it really that bad? And and what was it like with Chris?
1: Um, with Chris, you know, I I just learned. Um, he talked. I mean. There's something to learn on stage from him, but more so off stage. Um, I, I tip better because of him. I tip a lot more because of him. Uh, I've seen how he dealt with fans. Um, because something we've been out and people come up at the airport and they wanted him to sign stuff. And I would see him and he wouldn't sign everything. And I was at first, I was like, yo, that's why you're not signing. One time we were, we're out. Florida somewhere Some, and a fan came to us at the hotel in to sign it all these pictures blowing up and he didn't sign it he said you know not right now and then I looked at him and then as the ele- elevator doors were closing on us the fan starts to go irate and started cursing and throwing all kinds of slanders and everything wow and Chris very calmly just looked at me and said see you gotta know the difference you, you know when you're doing this long enough you know your real, your real fans they respect your space if you say you can't do it, just simply say, give me the bottom and they keep going. You yeah. say they would never act like that. So I learned little stuff like that. And what I thought about was the biggest thing I learned was if I was ever, not if when I was in my, uh, in a Chris Tucker position, I'll be sure to look out and do the same. And so as soon as I got into a headline position, um, I brought one of my buddies along. And I couldn't wait to do that because I knew my Chris Tucker day was coming. Yeah. So first thing I wanted to do was definitely look out for one of my friends and allow him to eat, as we call, and I eat as well because that's what you're supposed to do.
0: Well, and some of the interactions that I've heard about, some of the interviews and all that I've seen and researching for this, you're really good with your fans, and it's it, it you must you learned a lot because it's and I can. You seem to be a, a really grounded, good guy. And uh, it, 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 you seem to be very genuine, even when you're on stage, um, in, in some of the in, in the prep work that I've done in, in watching the interviews. And it, it it's really nice to see that kind of interaction.
1: Yeah, you know what? I just... It's just a couple of things, man. I, my mother is really grounded. There's nothing you know, uh, she's just very a solid person. So, coming from a household full of people who are very grounded, I think, helps because we're just not into trying to be something else. First of all, it takes too much energy to be something else. So, that's one thing. The next thing is there's never a need for me to be a to put myself above anybody. So, this is how I function, which is I'd rather keep myself humble rather than let circumstances cause me to be humble. Or if you're spiritual, I don't want God to humble me because that kind of humbling is. I don't want that. So I'd rather just keep myself, I let myself do it. If we keep our feet on the ground, if or when we fall, it won't be that far. So I don't want to ever be you know, Anything self agonizing because I'm not into that. Actually, you know, and, and on a very simpler level, I just find it very corny. You know, a lot of uh, it's a very insecure move to try to belittle people, put people down. I understand that the people don't even have to talk to me. So for people to take time to even say, yo, London, we like you on the show, or oh, we thought you was funny on stage, whatever, it, you know, the very least I can do. Is be kind to people.
0: Cool. Um, I mean, you even do that in your in your standup because you, you your stand-up isn't about putting people down.
1: Exactly. I, people don't come to the show for that. I don't know. There there have been people who come to the show who said to me, Man, I wasn't having the best day. I really didn't feel like going on. Um people break up. I don't I don't know what people's circumstances are when they come to the show. Right. What if people come to the show For some sort of redemption and when I'm on stage I have control of the room and for me to abuse my power in that way and to start tearing people down who knows if I was the last source of positive energy that they could have used to turn things around I would I to who much is given much is required so I don't ever I, I try not to do that now, of course, even if we joke back and forth with the audience, I always, at the end of the joke, flip the joke around so that I'm the I'm the victim of the thing. I don't want the whole room coming down. Right. To, the world, like as we spoke about going into this, he said it's already enough and different things, talking about a bunch of dark things. Yeah, that's not that's not even in my nature. So I, I don't want to be that way.
0: Well, so. yeah, exactly. And I don't I don't want to do a show like that. And uh, I I appreciate. Your, your humbleness coming on to my show because now you instead of doing you know a, a big morning show that I've that I've been watching today I've, I've watched I've, <laughs> you you have no idea how many interviews I've watched with you over the past few days and uh, now you're doing a podcast with some middle-aged guy in his dining room so that that's pretty cool to me it's all good
1: man. I mean <laughs> people are people I don't you know at the end of the day you know the president to the homeless president, people are people we he yep. That's enough for respect, you know.
0: So let I want to find out how you got the your. I don't. know, Do you consider hustle your your breakthrough in acting or, or in TV? I guess maybe.
1: Um, I consider it a step because I still haven't felt like I've gotten the break, the breakthrough breakthrough. But okay. I do feel like I've made these have been great uh, steps to the next level. Um, the hustle was very important because. Or mean something because that casting director, uh, Princess Penny, he purposely decided to go with actors that no one had seen before. And in Hollywood, that's very difficult. People like what they like. And so nobody wants to take a chance on new faces.
0: Right, yeah. They want so a name to him. draw people in.
1: That's the thing. So for him to say, yo, I'm going to go with some names. uh, I'm going to go with some actors because they can act and not because of the resume. Was... uh my loyalty, I have a lot of loyalty to him. And that was major because of that show. It allowed me to get these other looks. And uh, for all, all of those, the, the important thing about that show is that that show is so important for me as an actor because it was a prerequisite for ballers that I didn't know necessarily was on its way. So uh-huh. I'm coming from theater. So coming from theater, we play, you know, we're really over the top. Yeah. So. What the hustle did was it allowed me to put my acting into playing, playing here. And, um, so all the, it was a crash course into this thing called television acting or screen acting. And we did one season of that. And as a lead on that, it allowed me to feel the weight of carrying the show. Um, and that sort of thing. So then by the time Ballers comes around a couple of years later, I had already gotten the training within that first show. So when balls came came around, it was in my proclivity to just kind of, I was comfortable.
0: Was that a, was that a difficult transition going from theater to, uh, to screen acting?
1: Uh, no, not really. It's just, it's just a matter of, just a matter of adjusting. Um, because in like, theater you gotta, like,
0: you gotta play it big, but when you're in, when you got a, a camera in front of you, you can be a lot more subtle and, and, and it, right. you know, it's you, the the audience can see what you're doing.
1: That's the thing. I think that it's just, it's just an adjustment. It's just like, it's like, for example, drive, um, going from driving a van or no, like a rental truck to your car, to your vehicle, like a rental truck. You got to be a little more careful. You got to actually <laughs> use the mirrors, in your car, <laughs> you know, in your car, you just do it and you whip faster. So it just, it was just a matter of adjusting. Um, but the hustle allowed me to work out all those wrinkles. So by the time Baldur's came around, I was like, okay, this is at least familiar and yeah, we can go from there.
0: Did you do your own rapping on the hustle or did that, was that? Yeah, man,
1: that was a whole other thing. Um, that was, that's what I'm saying. The hustle was in so many experiences because what, what my goal wasn't as an actor. I put out where I manifested, yo, an ideal career would be if I was acting during the day and working clubs at night. Which sound like a good idea until I actually had to do it, and I realized <laughs> that like I would get offset. What happened with the hustle? We would act all day, go to the studio, record, and then I would have to work clubs late night. After working clubs late night, I would have to go back home, learn more lines and more lyrics for the next day, ah. and I had to be careful. That's when I started to believe the things that I was really manifesting because it started to happen. And so that's why now I don't like wasting words. Uh, and this goes back into my followers on social media know that I don't really care for small talk. And sometimes people just want to just talk, right. talk. But I really feel like words are, are important. Now you to, is you that,
0: no, I don't know if you heard that my daughter just started screaming at my son. In the middle of this interview. So that was great.
1: No, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, so yeah, I, I, so for me, I just make sure that I try to use words effectively because I believe in them. And I know from my own experiences that the things I say happen. So that's why, even with the way I think and, and how I try to project to my friends, is to focus on what, whatever it is we want, we have to focus on that. Because the mind must bring forth that which occupies it. If we think about being broke, we're going to be broke because your mind is is focused on being broke rather than the solution to being broke. And so that's why I I've I've done that with my life. So not only with the acting side of things or the way I use words and memorizing and stuff like that, but you know when I would date you know and being on it, you know coming up if I didn't care if the girl liked me or not if I wanted her then I focused on that well, I just work on that
0: you know there's a time in, in my life I would have been like oh, okay that's that sounds great but you know I, honestly in the past couple of years I gotta agree with you because I I, I try to change my mindset because I, I tend to be more of a uh, I guess I don't say negative but it's it, it's always, it. it's hard to see some of the positive sometimes. And, Absolutely. And then and actually with the support of my wife doing these few podcasts that I've been able to do and getting some really cool guests. I mean, yeah, guys, and and, and there's you and, and, you know, meeting Carl uh, McDowell, yeah. uh, <clears throat> a bunch of other friends. I, I, I talked to a lot of musicians that I've admired for years. And I never thought I would have done that without believing that I can do it.
1: Absolutely, dude. it's It's the real deal, man. That's why i like, in my mind, you know, that's the confidence that I'm walking, that I walk around with and the security that I walk around with. This goes back to what we talked about before. This is why I don't ever have to tear or put anybody down because the analogy I like to use is like this. If you and I were both gonna go to uh what's what's your favorite team?
0: Um Alabama Crimson Tide.
1: Alabama Crimson Tide. And we we're gonna go to one of their games, right? Yep. And I said, uh, I got us tickets and I said, yo, we're gonna take we're gonna get dropped off over there. So we're about to ride. I meet you at your place, when to get dropped off. And if your limo came to pick you up first, I wouldn't be offended that your your that the limo came to get you. I would glad if it came. I'll say, yo, you go ahead and take it up to the game. I'll be there in a minute. The reason I can say you go take this vehicle. I'll see you there is because I know I got, uh, there's another limo on the way. And I see my career and my success in the same way where I'm never threatened by anybody else doing well because I feel like I'm going to do well. I, it may not be, I may not get there when you get there, but I'm fine. I'll meet you there. I mean, I'm if you if you go if you stay focused and you're heading to the top, I i meet you at the top because I'm going to stay focused and and get to the top. So I'm like, yo, let's enjoy yourself. In fact, go grab me some seats, grab me some popcorn too. I'll I'll be there on the way. And and that's my relationship with people and success. So and all times together. But I understand that idea of like sometimes it can be really hard to see the breakthrough. But that's what makes it so special for the people who have faith, because everyone doesn't, everyone doesn't have enough uh, drive to see past the hardship to say that, yo, I know it's, I know it's a lot of negativity, I know it's rough right now, I know I'm not getting paid enough, it takes a, it takes a great deal of passion to be able to see through the rough times and be like, man, I know when I had when I looked at my bank account one year when I was working an after school program and I saw <laughs> all I had in there was twenty eight dollars.
0: Oh man, I've been there.
1: And I remember just some days where I was so hungry, I would I would post on Facebook. I'm like, yo, who got something to eat? Oh wow, hit me. They say, yo, where you at? I pull up, all right. And or I would date a girl. And she would cook something for me or um, that was just, I remember like, in fact, what happened was, this. you'd be the first one to get this story. <laughs> I, All right. I, I, my mom had moved. I was with my mom at the time and she had moved. And I was in her old apartment. And I remember being in her old apartment because my pride wouldn't let me move with her as she moved to her new place. Ah. So I stayed in her old place. And um, I remember I was in there with no lights, no hot water, oh my God. Uh, no electricity. And I was just in there because I was just like, I wanted, I didn't want to be in my mother's house at the time. So I was in there and just cold showers and uh, a lamp and a laptop. And that's yeah. what I was doing. And I was still working and hustling and whatever that was, but <laughs> so that's why now people, you know, they don't they don't. My my Angela has this quote about you know people see the glory but they don't know the story, and yeah. I know people don't know me. So yeah, you know, that, but the, all those things. What I think about when people come up to me on the street, I think about that. So it keeps me very very grounded, and I don't never lose. In touch with those things, because I know what that
0: feels like. Yeah, oh, yeah. they see the, uh, the what seems to be the really quick rise into shows like Ballers and and uh, you know headlining comedy tours and things like that, but they don't see everything that went on behind it. And the, the, your oh, faith no. and and your faith in, in in God or or whatever you believe in and, and your faith in yourself makes it a lot easier to be patient.
1: All of that, you know, I, but I do. But there are exercises I do make sure I work on patience. There are a lot of things. For example, I mean, this is this is just for free. Uh, one of the things I, I, I realized reading is that if we do things on our opposite, it helps create patience. Like, for example, if you comb your hair with your right hand, start doing it with your left hand. Neurologically, this does something to the brain and it creates a patience. So what, another thing I do is like, for example, I drive with my left foot.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: And I learned to do that because I realized that it helps create patience. So I'm a very, very patient. I try to be very, very patient because there are a lot of things that can get us frustrated.
0: Oh yeah. Tell me about it. I have three kids. I I live trying to be patient. I got two in high school and one in middle school. Mm. My life is all about making sure I'm patient and it's they don't always work, but they're 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 a good way to learn patience. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure.
0: I'm sure. All right, so, now you, you went from hustle uh, the hustle to to ballers. Was there anything in between?
1: No. Um. Well, acting wise. Hustle, uh, no, it was. Yeah, I was doing the hustle. <laughs> I was just touring. That was what's was going on. I was doing the hustle touring with Chris Tucker, and then after that, ballers came. So it, at the time, oh, I couldn't contractually I couldn't do anything else because the show managerially, the network Fuse network, was going through changes and we was the first scripted show so they weren't right. sure if they wanted to fully invest with us so I was on a contract where basically a, a hold and what they did was they would just like pay us to not land any other shows oh, wow. and so I kind of lived off of that for a little minute while I was touring and it was kind of like that so.
0: and at that point you got rid of your Representation, didn't you?
1: Oh, dude. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you this story. So uh, basically, it was already kind of interesting working with my head agent person. He was an interesting guy. What it came down to is one day there was like some big like Budweiser, some kind of beer audition they wanted me to do some international. I was like, I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. It was like, "Yo, it kept like a lot of press. Like, yo, man, you gotta do it. Come on, man. Uh, you you gotta, you gotta do it." I was like, "No, nah, I really want to do it. That's a personal reason. going to do it." Right. And with the conversation ended with, you know what, London? Like, yo, man, you should be lucky. We even want to represent you, man.
0: Oh wow! He said,
1: no, man. When he said that, I was like, I took, I just took a minute. I was, I was at my after school program job at, at the time. I was like, man. I was like, yo. I said that didn't that didn't feel good. And I was like, All right. but not. I was my feathers Wouldn't even hurt. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was more like the only thing I thought about. I said, oh, he don't get it. He, he don't know who he's dealing with, and not to be you know pounding my chest, but I meant he didn't see down the line. Right. I was like, okay, you don't understand. And the next, like within the next hour or two. I wrote this letter and I was like, yo, um, just thank you for your services. they no longer needed. Boom. Got out of that. And
0: short and sweet.
1: Short and sweet. One liner. Done. And what happened was he didn't understand. I grew up in a house with, where my stepfather was an alcoholic. So I know firsthand how alcohol can rip a family in half. Mm-hmm. and disrupted. I, I dealt with that growing up. So, you know, I may drink in, as far as in a show, uh, on, on TV or whatever, the character may have a beer or whatever he drinks, but I wasn't going to be an, a spokesperson and a face for alcohol because also I was still teaching at the time. So I was like, nah, I'm want to do that. So
0: That makes that, sense.
1: What it taught me was like, yo, I've never just been somebody just a foal because because Money don't move me. That don't. If I was one of those guys where money meant that kind of thing to me, then I would be sucking into all kind of stuff. But money does. I'm. I've been broke before. Yeah. Money don't yeah. move me, man. I'm not into that. It's money is a byproduct. So, you know, I, we need it, of course, obviously, to survive and pay bills. And, and but I don't need. I don't need no money. That's, that's not the thing that you you. Dangle in front of me, <laughs> to keep their move. but I, but you know what's interesting about that is that that's what made that's what makes moving forward so incredible is that I know that two years later, on a Sunday night when HBO Balls premiered, and he's in in the, in the my old agent was in bed with his wife or whatever, and he's poking through the channels and he sees Ballers come up. And I know, I know he was, you know, he's laying he's landing in bed. He's like, get, get, get off me, get off, get off. Me. And he's looking, and he's, you know, he's doing like this, and he's wiping his eyes. Just like, is that the, is that the dude I just? Absolutely, I'm the same dude. And I know, I know that whole agency is probably freaking himself because they didn't get it, man. They didn't see. I'm like, and that's the thing, and that's why I to try to surround myself with people who can see. At the very least, they got to be able to see what I see, if not see more than what I see. Because I'm, that's what makes my loyalty to the guy who put me for The Hustle, That's and, and Chris, whomever, who's worked with me during these stages of my career, because this means that they were able to see the dismal light. And they say, you know, I don't know what's going on, but something's there. I'm yeah. very loyal to my theater director and, you know, people who Ooh, my friends from high school say, "Yo, man, you good, man? Just keep going." That's, that's that's important.
0: So then, you didn't have any representation when you started the audition process for Ballers.
1: No, that's the thing. I had no representation.
0: So how did that happen? Friend. How did they find you?
1: Dude, uh, there was this veteran comedian, a writer, and we uh, cast people got in touch with him. They asked him if he knew me. And he reached out to me and said, have you auditioned for Ball? I said, no, not yet. Or I hadn't heard about it. They said, yo, they're looking for you. Can I give me information? He says, bet. He sent my information over to them. And I went in to audition for 20, uh, 2014, August. And at the time, I was uh, working as a choreographer. And my voice was kind of like what it is now because I had been working so much. I was My voice was totally gone in the audition. Um, So much so that I told him, I said, yo, if you don't understand me, call me back, you know, and I'll, I'll do it. Just, you know, I can do this. Right. And uh I did the audition. The first good song was the next. Basically, in the audition, they said, yo, Lenny, you're playing it really, really serious. We want you to lighten it up and play them a little sinister and like this. I made the adjustment. And that was the thing that they were impressed by the most. They said, wow, you can adjust it rather quickly. The next day I had an audition for the producers. And once I knew I had the call back for the, for the producers, I knew that I was in a good position because usually got to, it's several callbacks before you even get to that, the round table.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So once I got in front of the producer, director, that's how I feel with any audition. I'm like, just get me in the room. I'm all, just give me a shot. I'm ready. I'm like a player off the bench. I'm like, just give me the ball. I'm, just, I'm ready. I've been training for this. So when I got to the room, there you know, was like, several, like seven callbacks. And funny thing was, two months later, um, they ended up calling me said, had me move to Miami. But what I found out later, two years in, or two seasons in, I said, what took y'all so long? Why did the process take so long? He said, well, what was going on was that the network wanted an actor with a name, but the people in the room, they saw me firsthand. They wanted me because they saw me, and so the people in the room fought for me against the network.
0: Wow.
1: And then eventually, you know, the network, they brought in and know fine, but again, there were just some people fighting for me, just like, you know, uh, the other people along the way who've been fighting for me, so.
0: Well, that seems to be a theme for you, then, people... Studios and all wanting wanting a name, but the people who actually interact with you want you instead.
1: That's that's the thing is that this is why I'm on tour because my friends, the people around me, have always they saw it from the jump. They've always believed, and that's the thing about that's what TV does. TV exposes you and introduces you into the living rooms of people. Yeah. And that's why the plan is to do TV, which I'm doing, book, a film. I've done I've done some films, but to book like a major film, so take the audience from TV, take them to the big screen, and bring them right back to the comedy club. That's the plan, very clear and laid out, very methodical. But I know that just like you, it's just like now we have a talk. You deal with me one on one. You say, "Oh, this is who he is, yeah. and this is why these interviews." With you or the ones that do to Essence or whomever. It's just introducing people to me because I know people don't know me. Right. Once, that's why if there's ever any negative thoughts or ideas about me, I know that those people usually don't know me. Because you can't, you can't say that I'm like this and have a conversation with me. So I'm not, I'm never bothered <laughs> when people say I'm like this or London, you're so this or that. I'm like, you've never been with me. When I've been in the middle of a date, I pull over and I go feed homeless people. I know you ain't been, I know you ain't, you haven't done that. Where I, I I get up, I say, whatever's going on, listen, we got this leftover, bag this up, I'm about to recook this food, and you got any blankets, bring them over. And I call my friends, let's go follow me, why don't you drive and go feed the homeless, and you go with me, let's do it like this. I know you mean, I know people ain't going with me to do that. Right. I I know that people don't know. That yeah, when I get stuff, I call my friends over here. Is a bag of clothes. That's just for you. Or I call my friends. Do you need anything? Your rent cool? You know. And there's been times where people I work with professionally, and I say, Yo, what's going on? Your spirit, some of your energy is off. Yo, man, I you know. Uh, on the surface, they look fine. Right. So, yo, man, my rent is kind of dude. You my friend. Here you go. Now, of course, I'm not just throwing out money. And right. Stuff, <laughs> but and it takes being very sensitive to know who and where and how to gauge that.
0: Yeah, yeah because some people won't take that the right way.
1: Some people, you know, won't take it the right way, or some people, you know, will come after the hands up. Well, yeah, so it doesn't matter. You got to know, man. But my point is is that I know that a lot of people haven't dealt with me on a one-on-one. So that's why these these interviews, like with yourself, are very important so people can hear me firsthand and understand what what's going on with me.
0: Well, with such a, a positive outlook and and such such goodness coming out, is it difficult to play, or was it difficult to play uh, Reggie because he started off not appearing to to be the the best, uh, I, I guess the most honorable character on the show, and you know. You you know he had his 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 boy's best interest in hand, Vernon, but uh, he he was a very disliked character to start with, right? And i i didn't like I didn't like Reggie at all by season by right, season right, right, right. four. Um, I loved Reggie. Right, right, right. So I
1: think that what's happening is that with Reggie, that's part of the reason why I took the gig because I like the idea. That's one total opposite of me. Um, that's not my style at all, but that's what makes it fun. And because I get to be, I get to be a, a part of me that if I wasn't collected, I probably would be that guy. I would ah. just tell people what it is I feel. Not the vindictive, <laughs> uh, facetious side, but just some of the really just tell people. The reason I don't tell people. You know, this is a sidebar, but I have friends who feel like, London, you just need to be more direct. Don't don't hold your tongue. Just tell people what you feel. It's not that I'm afraid to tell people what I feel. I just know that they can't handle it. So for the sake of their feelings, I deal with people with a lot of gentility, you know, to a degree. Um, and I, because I, when I, when I want to be direct, I give it direct. But that's the... Some of those things I'm saying is a part of me that I'm able to incorporate into Reggie. But a lot of the other ideas, I've seen those guys. There's a, there's a Reggie in a bunch of, there's always a, a Reggie in an entourage. Yeah. And I've been around a lot of different cliques just because of the industry that I'm in. And, um, I've seen that guy before. So it was just a matter of taking all those people with all those people who are very insecure and Forming them into Reggie. I've dealt with a lot of insecure people.
0: So, oh, bad, yeah. Now,
1: you know, uh, did you have any? Helpful.
0: Did you have any input in the character development of Reggie throughout the seasons?
1: Yeah, they were really cool because Reggie was only supposed to be in there a couple episodes, but after the audition process, they decided to make him a lead. So, but Reggie was still new to the point where they were writing parts. They were writing Reggie parts while he was on set. Oh, wow. He was, creating and developing and there was a lot of my a lot of my improv uh improvisation they keep it makes the cut. And mm-hmm. I think that's coming from good directors who are able to trust my choices. But my choices, my good choices, if you will, comes from my training from theater. This all ties in together. Theater is is what allows me to be very impromptu. Also, me working clubs every night develops my timing. Yeah. So when me and Rob Cordy were throwing jokes and stuff off each other, those things are just timing, knowing that, because we, we rotate, meaning I'll be the straight guy and he get all the jokes. Or sometimes he's, been, he's upset with me and I'm the one being, you know, slick. Yeah. Yeah. Slick with the word. and I'm calling his special names. And we developed Reggie into becoming the antagonist. I think it was, uh, I felt like, I think he wasn't really He wasn't supposed to be the antagonist. But as we were going through the first two episodes, they was like, "Oh, yeah, he can't be." Okay, we're gonna just heighten this up. <laughs> and what happened was all of my episodes, all my scenes in season one, uh, were going at it with with Dwayne, which was a great look for me as a new face, yeah, um, to the network. It gave me a, it was a it was a good light to be. I mean, you can't be the hero. The antagonist is. the is the next best seat
0: oh yeah so, yeah and in the dark. and in the most recent season your uh, your interplay with with Rob Corddry was just fantastic
1: you know what man i I just met with my with my team Monday we had just end of the year just meeting with my managers and everybody and that was that's been the consensus not only from you as interviewers but them on uh, on their industry side But they just my regular partners from the from the neighborhood People like the chemistry that me and that Reggie and, and Joe Couture have on the show. Yeah. And it's cool that people could appreciate that because we didn't really plan for that. But I think that this, this, this last season more than the other season, people really like the chemistry. And I still got to watch, I still got to watch this, this season.
0: <laughs> so. That, that I, I don't know, know, that's kind of struck me as funny, but. Now,
1: yeah, I I, I, I gotta
0: get, get around to. It. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You're just too busy filming it to watch it. Yeah. Now you do impressions, and and one of the ones you do is is Denzel, and his son John David is on the show. Do you ever do a, a Denzel impression for for his for John David?
1: Yeah, his son's come out to a couple of comedy clubs of mine out here in L.A. and he's cool. I mean, he likes my actually he likes my impersonation of The Rock better.
0: Oh, really? Um, yeah, that's
1: why he says he, he like. I mean, the one I do with Dad is cool, but he probably hears that all the time. Yeah, but he likes the one I do with Dwayne, so uh, he's real cool about it. So that works for me.
0: How do you decide how to do who you want to do an impression of? Is it?
1: Uh... Well, you know what? I, uh, sorry, that's my sister. Calling oh no, in. Problem. no problem. Um, I never really sat down to study a voice necessarily. I didn't know impersonations were. Meant anything because the people in my house do them. So I didn't see them as anything special until I got into stand up. People were like, oh, you do voices. I didn't know. Um, so for me, it was one of those things um, I just felt like this is how I started. In high school, um, I remember there were a lot of gang members at my high school. Okay. And um, when I would tell, I would tell stories about whatever the movie was. I would just tell a story, but maybe this was my in my nature because of my theater side, I would just reenact the scenes. But I wouldn't trying. I wouldn't focus on the voice. I would just describing the story for whatever it was, let's just say if it was, you know, uh training day, because everyone else training. Right. The train be like, yo man, do you see Denzel man when when he was at the he was at the uh, the lunch counter in the beginning, boy, uh, uh, boom. You have the money, you do not have the money. If you don't have the money, put the money in the bag. For <laughs> all my friends. Uh, we got it. And boom. <laughs> oh, man. Whatever the thing was. <laughs> right. But the voice came out of doing that. And so when I would tell the story, the voice would happen. So what happened was <clears throat> when I first started stand-up, I didn't know how to write. I knew what's was jokes but what I did know is that I could do voices so what I did was I decided to just move in my strength to get my footing in comedy and then afterwards I realized how to how to write and construct jokes Then it changed, but um, you know so that's how that's how it came about and that's how I I go about every now and again if there's a a particular artist I like then I just kind of listen because doing it, doing voices is just like singing. Like, either a voice is in your register or it's not. Okay. So, I'm kind of listening when I walk into a room. And every now and then, if I walk into a room, someone has a unique voice, then I'll mimic it right then and there, just so it's logged in my brain. Uh, you know, I'm, okay. going to, I'm going to an audition and the person says, um, okay, so who's next? When I'm like, not I I sing on ball. You did an incredible job on the oh, totally. show. <laughs> I'm like okay. He has a list. He yeah. talks slow. He's like this. So under my breath, I just make a quick mental note, and then at some point, at somewhere, I have it in my bank to to, to draw from.
0: Oh, you mentioned earlier uh, helping out the homeless with food and blankets, but you're also a photographer, and you've been uh, taking portraits and, and pictures and, and documenting your work with the homeless. Um, how did you get into photography?
1: I've always liked photography. Um, I just couldn't afford a camera for a very long time. Yeah. When I started, when I started touring touring with Chris, saved up enough money, bought me a camera, and um, I wanted to photograph people but my confidence in photography wasn't there because I didn't know how to really use the camera, but I knew I could do it. Somewhere, I don't even know. I just knew I could. Yeah. Before I could. So what I started to do was I worked in that school program and we would serve the kids snacks, but the kids would, would waste the food. And what I started to do was to collect the food and I would take it at midnight after working clubs and i go feed the homeless. So when I would go feed the homeless, I would have conversations with the homeless. Then I realized that, oh, while I was out, I would just shoot the nightlife. While I was out there, they were separate at first. Somewhere in there, as I started getting up in personal, close and personal with the homeless people, one day I just like, you know, I started shooting it from afar. And okay. the people started to like the pictures. And then between that, I started getting up close to them. And then I said, yo, man, uh, I'd just like to photograph you if you don't mind. And I I, cause I would feed them and they would get comfortable. Yeah. So then I started to photograph them that way. And then that's kind of where I started from. And then after that, I started. I built I built my my confidence up with homeless people, and then I started shooting my friends who the headshots. Then started shooting uh, celebrities or whatever, and then I started doing my own landscape photography. I see.
0: This homeless. is this is my wheelhouse because uh, I went to college for photography, so I I love talking photography. Can talk oh to- man, bro. I I could talk your ear off for hours on it. Oh, but, well, you
1: know, now that you told me, I, I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you. But I'm going to have questions on how to do whatever it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, you got my number, so anytime you got a question, I'll be I'll be thrilled to help you out. Um, and you seem to be the type of guy who does a lot of research on what you're going to do. And I, I try to. I will, man. I I'll give you a list of people to check out because if you if you haven't. St- uh, studied some of the some of the amazing artists out there there are so many people that you're going to want to see and you're going to look at their photographs and say i can do this this is this yeah, is fantastic man. but i i know i can do stuff like this and that's what inspired me to go to college for it i, I would see people like dorothea lang's photos um cindy sherman um uh, yeah. diane arbus richard Avedon. um you, you like landscapes, so you've got guys like oh, you know, way back in the early in the late nineteenth century, Eugene A. J. Uh, Gailen Roll. Oh yeah. you got to email these
1: names for oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely excited.
0: Oh man, I, I will give you pages and upon pages of people to look for. Yeah. Um, some of the professors that I that I worked with uh, in school, their stuff is 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 fantastic. I like Willie Ostrom. One of my professors was actually Ansel Adams' last assistant before he died. So. That's deep. Yeah. yeah so you got Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's deep, man.
0: All right. So we'll 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 hook up after this show, and and I'll, I'll send you some names and stuff. But, how, really? but no. So what kind of what kind of equipment do you use? Are you a Canon guy, Sony, Nikon. Canon. I got a six D Canon, and
1: uh, I got a couple lenses that that help. I gotta see. I'm gonna send you a couple looks, man, and I, and maybe you can help me figure out which lens I need to use to yeah. accomplish some of these things, man. Because I see some some pictures. And I just marvel. I'm like, I'm like, man, well, how did they get this shot? You know, and I've done a couple illegal climbs and <laughs> jumped. And I just gotta get the shot and get the shot and I get going. But I mean, yo, there's, I just have tons of questions,
0: man. Oh man, about yeah, and so, I, and a bunch of my my uh, classmates from RIT still shooting to this day. I I was professional for like 15 years. Then I had kids, gave it up, had to get some steady income because yeah, yeah. unfortunately I was in an area, I, I went to school in Rochester and then I ended up moving down to Alabama and I was in a real poor, a poor section and it was just really hard to make a living doing that, so. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my wife and I uh, started having kids and I'm like, I guess I should probably get some steady income because mm. wasn't, it wasn't exactly steady at that point, but uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I I can talk to you for hours about photography. I don't think um, the listeners are going to want to hear it right now. But, <laughs> but and I, I will tell you one thing, and this is something that that I'm I will not edit out of the podcast. Check out a couple of my uh, other episodes. I've had a couple photographers on. Uh, a friend of mine is a guy named Jim Cummins, and he was a he. I mean, he's still a photographer, but he was a photographer for a uh, music photographer for decades and decades. He shot guys like Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin. He was at Woodstock. Shot Santana, Miles oh, classic, Davis. Man. Oh, he he's shot over 900 album covers. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
1: one of the he's one of the
0: the, the greats then. Oh yeah. See, check out that episode because he talks all about it. And then there's another lady uh, who's a photographer right now out in L.A. named Priscilla Scott. She does a lot of uh, live music photography. She's really good too. So um,
1: I'm on it, man.
0: Yeah, um, all right, now before we wrap up, I want to find out about the new project that you, that I, I don't know, is it out yet? Asia A, is that out yet? Asia
1: A. Uh, Asia A is still making its way around film festivals.
0: All right, tell me, what is uh, that about?
1: Asia A, basically, I played a paralyzed athlete, and I, <clears throat> I got a call from the director, and he said, yo, man, I got the story for you. you. Want me to check it out? I read it on a Sunday evening. I was like, yo, this is really heavy and this is deep and it's a lot different from the other characters I've done. So I was like, yo, uh, I'm in. And um, that right there was a very emotional piece um, because it comes it's basically an athlete coming to terms with the reality that he's going to have a, a, a new life because he's finding out this information. So he has to decide how he wants to tackle this new chapter of his life, and um it's it's just it was a good piece for me to really sink in and get down like, to my emotional side,
0: so it's but, more of um, a dramatic piece than yeah comedic god I, I I would imagine it would be hard to do a comedy about a paralyzed athlete
1: <laughs> right i mean that's what makes it so cool because it was like it was just very heavy and i i i like I like a good drama.
0: So if you had your uh, if you had your choice, would you be doing more comedic work, more dramatic work, or just stand up?
1: Um, I you know I like the idea of both. Like that's the I think that's the cool thing about my career and how it is and how it's set up. It allows it kind of it kind of allows me to do um to do both.
0: You have and a so preference I'm, between them?
1: Or? Uh, well, stand stand up for sure for sure is okay. my my voice or my go-to but i I drama's right up under it man because I, I like the stretch and the growth that I get from a good drama you know um and a lot of comedy comes from pain anyway
0: yeah that so yeah
1: I can't even i they're almost inseparable for my style because they they work together they to coincide each other so
0: all right so before I let you go what what's the worst Thing you've had happen either in an audition or on stage or on set. What's what is the 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 most? I don't I don't want to say embarrassing because it doesn't have to be embarrassing. But what's the strangest thing you've had happen in your? Uh, I guess you, I mean you could pick either doing uh, acting or stand up, or you could do give me one of each. It's up to you.
1: Um, the strangest thing. <coughs> oh goodness, let me see. This is a pretty good one. I guess the strangest thing might have been, I don't know, maybe maybe this one. I'll share this one, but it, it, it's kind of cool because it ends in a good way. But basically, I was in Miami and um, I was in Miami. I was coming out of a shoe place and this guy walked in and he wanted to fight me uh, okay. because he thought I was Reggie for real.
0: Oh and, wow.
1: <clears throat> and I had talked him out of that. Mind up taking pictures for his wife and everything. Another time I was in the club. I said from oh, often I was in the club and this guy was me mugging me by the bar. And um to the point where he walked up on me just like, yo, I was trying to figure out why I didn't like you. Um I thought you was a dude he said, I thought you was a guy you know, who maybe stole my girl. But
0: Oh jeez.
1: I uh, realized you to do from the show. I was mad at you from the
0: show, so. <laughs> so he was mad at you for either way. It didn't matter. He was just either mad way. at he
1: to buy me. Drink. <laughs> uh, those are some of the, you know, those are some of the things. Sometimes I meet, I meet, you know, women who watch the show, and you know, it's just kind of funny. You know what happened? You know, old people, just the way people treat me who knew me before, but who 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 came who came back around after the show. Yeah, you know, because now I get a bunch of, I get a bunch of psychics, if you will. Now, so right now I get a bunch of people saying, you know what? Now, mind you, this is like two seasons in, three seasons in. You know what, London, I don't know what it is about you, but I think you're gonna do well with the acting thing. I'm like, (laughs) seems plastered on the show. Four seasons in, you know. So,
0: you know, you might be right.
1: (laughs) You might be right. So (laughs) that kind of thing, and where everybody just. You know they're cheering for you, but not everybody. But some people. So
0: was it was it uh, easier for you when they moved the shooting from Miami to Los Angeles for ballers?
1: Um, for me, I was able to appreciate it because I can get, I can spend my regular life. So yeah. I just go to work, get on set after set. I know all the clubs. I'm going right from set, drive to the club, have a day off. I get to cook, <coughs> cook, go see my family. All that stuff I can appreciate. It. But my end was good too because I needed the solidarity. I like being alone. I don't mind being alone at all. so okay. I, it was good for me to just kind of be somewhere foreign and just focus so
0: well, where can people find out more about what you're doing if uh do you are you, are you touring with your comedy act yet uh recently or? yes i'm
1: I'm touring and it's gonna be more days coming into uh the new year. But if people would like to find me, um, at Real London Brown, at Real London Brown, and all the good stuff, you can find, catch me on Instagram, and you will be able to see, uh, you know, talk to me, watch me live, and and all that good old stuff. So that they're really cool.
0: Thank you so much. It's it's really this has been one of the most fun podcasts I've done. You're just a great guy to talk to. Real positive, and it's it's uh, really nice to talk to somebody who's got such a great outlook on life.
1: Hey man, I'm very, 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 very grateful, man. I can't I not get along alone, so.